Hi, and welcome to episode 94 of the Crafty Planner podcast. My name is Sandy Hazelwood, and I'll be your host. Through the podcast, I share the stories of makers in our community to inspire you on your own creative journey. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by Lucky Spool Media, founder of the Mighty Lucky Quilting Club, Fat Quarter Shop, and Sotopia. Fat Quarter Shop is a full-service online fabric store. Along with carrying the latest fabric collections, they also have quilt kits, fun and useful notions, and block of the month clubs. After today's episode with Carolyn Friedlander, you can also visit their shop for an ample choice of her fabrics and patterns. With fast free shipping for any order over $80 shipped in the United States, they're attempting flash sales and monthly coupons for you to use. You can find out more about their shop, free patterns, and tutorials on their Facebook page or Instagram account. They always have something to inspire you. For more information about Fat Quarter Shop, please check out fatquartershop.com. Sotopia is a twice a year weekend sewing retreat with swaps, a shop hop, and fun fabric challenges for attendees. Their next retreat will be held in April in the Mile High City of Denver, Colorado, with Anna Graham of Noodlehead and Lizzie House as the instructors. They also recently announced their next retreat location, and it's New Orleans. How fun. You can also check out their online merchandise store with fun project bags, t-shirts, and stickers. For more information about both events, please visit their website, gosotopia.com. As part of my continuing series of the Mighty Lucky Quilting Club, today's guest is Carolyn Friedlander. Living in Florida, Carolyn is a pattern designer, fabric designer for Robert Kaufman Fabrics, teacher, and author of Savor Each Stitch. For this month, she is teaching the Project Overwhelm Challenge about organization and palette cleansers. During our podcast, we talk about her fabric and design process, her advice for developing your own voice, and how she organizes projects to maintain her focus. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Carolyn. Hi, Sandy. Thank you for being on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I think we have jokingly talked about being on the podcast for maybe about a year now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to be on. So we have to start with your creative journey. And I just, I don't know very many, you know, people who train and you know, practices being an architect and then turn into a prolific fabric and pattern designer. So I know there's a little bit more to the story than that. And I'd love to hear it from your perspective. (laughs) Well, first, I will say it's surprising how many other um, architects and engineers and, and kind of related fields there are. And I would say, I mean, I don't know what the actual number is, but I probably know more of them just because my first fabric line was called architectures and that really um had them all coming out of the woodworks which was exciting (laughs) it was kind of like a call to them (laughs) we can Um, be free to uh wave our crafty flags now (laughs) that's right (laughs) so yeah that's been really fun getting to know more designers um or people in related fields just uh who have similar backgrounds that's been great but yeah so i started um my background's actually in art and architecture. I went to college, started out in the art school for a year, and then I um, transferred over to architecture, loved studying it, graduated with a degree, worked in the field for a few years. And um, and even during college, I was working in the field. Uh, but I ended up <laughs> getting into quilting. I became very obsessed with it. And over, I don't know, several years 
am now in the business of doing it. <laughs> so designing fabric patterns and uh, all of that kind of stuff. You grew which up, is great. It's you grew up on a farm, farm. right? Oh, sorry. It's all glitchy yeah. still. <laughs> yeah, so I grew up on a cattle and citrus ranch in uh, central Florida. And uh, so I lived there until I moved away for college. And then I went to college in St. Louis, Missouri. Lived in the Midwest for several years, which was fantastic. I enjoyed that a lot. And then I missed the warm weather and moved back to Florida. And then it also helps that my family is still there. So it's nice being around them. So you currently live in, is it Lake Wales, right? Yeah, Lake Wales. It's right in the center of the state. Is it close to where your family is? I know you said your family's in Florida, but are they all somewhat around still? Yeah, it's super close to my parents. Um, my brother's not too far away, and then my sister's just a few hours away. And she's a landscape architect, right? It appears that you guys could not get rid of this architect in some form it's in true. your family. <laughs> um, she's a landscape architect and she's licensed and practices. And um, to me, it always seems like she's doing really exciting things, but that's, <laughs> uh, and I know she enjoys doing it. And she's working in an area that has uh, a lot of, I don't know, I feel like good tree policy. So they, they really make use of their landscape architects up there. Now, when you were growing up, you've said that your mom made clothes for you and your brother and your sister. Yeah, which was exciting. So my mom has sewn basically her whole life, and um, but mostly garments. So she grew up, you know, and it was way easier. And she found it really enjoying to sew her own clothes. And then she kind of got into quilting. I need to find out when it exactly was, but it must have been when I was in college or before I went to college. Because that wasn't something that I necessarily remember as much growing up, because that just came later. So it really wasn't until after college, when I was at home visiting, I saw her doing some free motion quilting, and that just completely blew my mind that you could control how you are um, putting something's machine. That it wasn't all just going straight through. So that was really it. That was that was what drew me in and got me interested. Well, so what role does living in Florida play in your creative process? It's warm. <laughs> going to the weather, I really like the weather. Um, so I'm pretty happy about that. Um, it's a familiar place. Having grown up there, um, you know, the landscape's really familiar. But being an adult, you kind of look at it in a different way and you realize how familiar it is and how I don't know. You can kind of appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think there's value in kind of any place. Um, you can find value in any place, but um, so that, I, I don't think that that necessarily matters. Um, but the other benefits of being home or, you know, near where I grew up, is just, you know, it's really nice being able to see my family so much, especially now that my brother and sister have kids. So I'm really part of their lives, which is great. So I get, I don't know, to play with them and sew with them. So I've gotten some of them interested in it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it's fun. And I travel enough that, um, I'm other places and I can enjoy other places, but when I come home, it's very relaxing and relatively easy. When I read about the inspiration behind your lines or look at the pictures of your house or the orange groves. Like I just get this 
warm, comforting feeling. Like you've got this amazing picture of like the oak trees and moss growing on them. And I just feel like it's this place that engenders all these things to you. You know, like you said, like family, comfort, warmth, but there's an architectural component to it. um, And it all ends up leading to where you found your voice. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I guess that, that's definitely all part of it. Um, and yeah, those are all things that I definitely draw inspiration from and I, I really admire and, um, and like, of course there are things that I, you know, there are things that aren't as great, but I don't think that, I think it's really fun. It's great to just highlight the things that you do in the place that makes any place special. Because any place can be special no matter where it is. So, yeah. No, I love the local landscape. Well, your workspace pictures, they're they're well lit. They're minimally styled. The colors are gorgeous, but I kind of feel like they're the colors of your fabric collections, which I'm already drawn to. So maybe that makes sense. But I sort of <laughs> secretly wonder if I like drop into your space unexpectedly, like, is that how you really work? Or is it like <laughs> just how you take pictures for the blog? Yeah, it could be um, part of me thinking, well, if you were to drop in at some point, yes, you might see some of those staged, you know, some of those photos still at place somewhere because I hurriedly like set them up and took them and then ran back to whatever I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, I do try around myself with things that I like um, and things that uh, feel good. And um, of course, things can get a little crazy and messy and all of that as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think that we're all drawn to certain colors, uh, for whatever, uh, whatever those reasons are. And, um, I feel no shame about going back to a lot of those same colors. <laughs> well, do you work better in clean spaces or dirty spaces? I know that I don't mean to say dirty, but cluttered maybe like I have a real hard time if things are cluttered. Like I have to clean my space every time. And I've noticed that if I'm trying to rush through and something's cluttered around me, I feel cluttered in my head and I almost can't like think through it. So I was kind of wondering Mm -hmm. if you're the same way because I get this like uncluttered feeling from your designs. Yeah, no, I definitely can get stressed out by being too much. But then what um, kind of conflicts with that is that I also have this need to see everything or it forgets or it just disappears from my mind. So yes, those two things are in constant conflict. And, um, (laughs) and so usually what that ends up as is, you know, I've got these, either I'm using my floor as a design wall, or I've got these huge form core panels that I use as design walls. So I will have stuff pinned up there, um, you know, just recently releasing a new fabric collection, I had to have all of the pieces pinned up on the design wall so that I could see it all at a glance, know what existed, um, at all the projects that I wanted to make, you know, pinned up on the wall. I had, you know, different projects in various stages on the floor at different times. Um, so yeah. And then some, at some point it might get to be too much and I'm like, okay, I just have to (laughs) reset, (laughs) clean everything. Um, and so that I can, you know, think more clearly. But yeah, it, it, there's definitely a, a struggle there. Well, one of the aspects that I love most about your work is 
the connection that you make between your surroundings, like we we're talking about Florida and the trees and the orange groves. And you can see that through your lines, you know, in botanics and architectures, which by the way, you guys are going to have to like pry out of my dead hands because <laughs> I've got it in a box, cherished, cherished box. But also you make the connection between that and our craft and you do it in, in this very mindful way. So when did mindfulness become so much a part of your process? Hmm. I'm not really sure. I mean, I guess for me, I'm pretty, um, usually I'm a pretty deliberate person. So mm-hmm. if I'm thinking through an idea, it's not, um, I mean, I would say it's almost impossible for me to not think about other ways to do it or what it's related to and, um, or what it means overall, which I guess can be a lot to think about, but I think it's a fun thing to think about. Um, you know, when I was working in architecture, there were parts of it that I enjoyed and I was always looking, trying to see what it would be like in the future and other things that I would enjoy about it. And I mean, at that time it was easy to see the things that I was maybe frustrated by, but, um, and so that's why I guess working now in something that I really do care about, there's such a big difference. Um, because I'm coming, I, you know, working in something that really as a whole, I, I really enjoy so much and I'm so grateful to be doing it. I think that it's a natural thing too. And having not always been able to do the things that, that I've wanted to do, um, I guess it makes it that more obvious. And so then, yeah, that naturally comes into my work and, um, and I also try to stay very aware that I do still like it and that it is what I want to be doing. I guess that I am kind of, that that's always in the back of my mind. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, it, it, it really is just like a big part of what I'm thinking. And it naturally came from the fact that I am doing a lot of what I want to do, which is very grateful for. It's pretty amazing. As you were talking about it, I was thinking about work that I did in Los Angeles, we were working on historic preservation overlay zones. And as a planner for an area, I worked on both like a specific change that might be proposed to a house, but I also worked on the overall zone. And so like, how did the zone look and how is it going to look in the future? And I think maybe it's something about that mindset. Like you're talking about in architecture, you're, you're, you're constructing or you're, you're drawing something so that it be, can be constructed, but it's not just like about the door component, you know, it's about how does it fit into a larger scale and then how does it fit into the surroundings? And so I think maybe it's the mindset of you can do little details, you know, like changing something here, but you can see how it fits into a larger scheme. And then you get the privilege of it being an even larger scheme. And like, this is the work that you love. And so it all fits in together. Oh yeah, that's super true. That's really, that's super insightful. That's very true. Yeah. And that's something I love about design is, and I never studied, um, other than basic, like architectural history stuff about urban planning, but I always loved thinking about that scale. So, um, so yeah, looking at things on different scales at different levels and kind of the impact there. Totally. Yeah. That that's, that's a really interesting way to think about it. Well, I think it's funny too, cause I get asked the question, which I'm sure you maybe get asked this question too. It's like, how does my planning world work with my sewing quilting world? And I think some of that skill set is the same to be able to sort of see this larger 
um, sort of vision and whether or not it's in ourselves or in somebody else, and then be able to say, okay, now how do we step out those um, to-dos to make that vision happen? It's that training, that thought process. Yeah, that's super true. Yeah. So, you know, on the project level, you know, you're thinking about what do I want to accomplish overall? And then you think through the details and the process to actually making that happen. So whether that's a quilt, whether that's a party, whether that's a quilt market booth, <laughs> or even on the larger level, whether it's your job, um, yeah. what is the goal? What, what's, what's most important to you? And um, how are you going to get there? What are the trade-offs at different levels as well? So yeah, completely. Well, can we talk about the Friedlander fabric line and how it kind of illustrates this perspective? So what I've read this, but I want to talk about like, what was the inspiration behind Friedlander? And then what were the steps that you then said, okay, so this is what I have in my mind. Like, do you then immediately start designing the patterns? Do you start with the fabric and then go into the patterns? And then how does that play into like, we're talking about like your quilt market booth and then the extension of like your lookbooks are fantastic. You know, so like, is this all like, does it all just like come out of you at 2 a.m. in the morning or is it, you know, sort of comes in pieces? Yeah, it definitely happens over a long period of time. And, um, you know, with the fabric line, yeah, for sure. It all happens over a long period of time and it's can sometimes be separate ideas that I just need to figure out how they fit together. Cause I know that, you know, if you're, if something's really kind of on your mind, if you're really thinking about something, it's related to everything else that you care about and, um, or the things that you see or the things that you want to do. You know, a lot of times I just need to work through the idea long enough to figure out how those pieces fit together. So for the fabric collection, it really started out as, um, well, I guess to really go back to things, the reason why I started, well, I, I love trees you know, number one, I do love trees and they can be really beautiful and they can say so much about a place. They can be different no matter where you are or the same, but look different based on the environment, the soils, the, um, the upkeep. And, um, so I live in an old house and there are only three (laughs) trees large enough to make shade. So as soon as moving, as I moved in, I just started planting trees like crazy. So yeah, took advantage of my sister being a landscape architect (laughs) and forced her to give me some direction, um, which was fantastic. Um, and taking advantage of my mom and grandma who love working out in the yard and have been really great in helping me not only plant trees, but figure out what types would be good for me and where to put them. Um, so I've been planting just tons and tons of trees and in planting all of these trees, and in kind of in doing something like that in a place that is my own, it's been very and it's been very natural for me to imagine what the place is going to look like as it changes. Which is something about landscape architecture, honestly, that that I've um, admired about what my sister does. You know, I think that with landscape, I mean, just to kind of side note on that is that one thing that it has that that they get to think about is the sense of time is so different. So they plant things, even, you know, on a commercial budget, they can put in things that are pretty large, but ultimately, you know, 
the place that they're designing isn't going to come into full effect until it's like all the plants are fully mature or, you know, go through the different seasons. It's like there's so many different ways that time makes a difference for what they are considering, which is really pretty cool. And so I guess similarly, just at my house, planting those trees, you know, and I'm planting little trees. I would be very clear (laughs) in planting a lot. My budget has been small. Um, So it's been all little trees. So you have imagination to know what it's really going to look like and whether or not I'm going to be the one to be there to enjoy it. You know, I, I have no idea. I mean, that's the thing with planting trees. You're kind of planting it for um, someone else to enjoy. so anyway, planting all of these trees, thinking about what they're going to look like, and then just noticing other trees that are around me or when I travel, um, you really st- it just puts it into a totally different context, and you start noticing them more. And so one thing that I really started noticing after doing that was just um, how a lot of the trees, you know, we have a lot of oak trees, but just trees in the pastures, um, get eaten by the cattle up to a certain, you know, like mouth height. And it's kind of the coolest thing because when you're looking at it from afar, you know, that there's nothing green from, you know, there's the grass on the ground, but up until the cow mouth height, and then you just see brunk and like nothing <laughs> green. And then all of a sudden there's all of this green. So, um, it, it, it's cool. You think about, you know, the net, I mean, and, and exactly a totally natural environment but these are just grazing animals and the fact that they're able to create this perfectly horizontal line in the landscape um is really cool um so so yeah that that that's really what caught my attention i just thought about the mark that they were making Mm -hmm. um so it really came about mark making and how you know and it was very easy for me to think about the marks i was making just in my own property planting trees um thinking about how animals make marks and it just kind of really extended from there became very obsessed with this idea of mark making and kind of impacting our surroundings or impacting our lives i mean you could look at it kind of conceptually too but but yeah i really got attracted to that idea um and yeah so then at that point i started drawing different things but still noticing a lot i mean this this idea really for me was pretty conceptual for a while <laughs> or mm-hmm. it just was so compelling to think about um and, you know, you can think about cities and how they're planned and um, a lot of cities, you know, medieval cities are planned based on cattle trails. So, again, coming back to the, the, the cattle, yeah. which is crazy. But then also thinking about maps and urban planning and how that also dictates how we live, um, which is kind of crazy. So, yeah, thinking about things at different, you know, once you kind of get one idea, when you start looking at it from different angles, it becomes really interesting. And um, that's kind of the rabbit hole that that I fell, fell into. <laughs> so you're making yeah. the fabric and then are you saying, so yeah, I guess if you want me to talk more about, Oh no, go ahead. I was going to say the patterns and like how that evolves. And then I, I have to talk about the quilt market boost because you've had some of the most amazing boosts. And I don't know, since you've debuted fabric that, you know, I've seen both online and in person. Well, thanks. Um, so the booth is really fun. I mean, it's obviously a lot of work, but um, for me, that's the chance I have to kind of visually tell a story, which 
in many ways, I'm better at doing that than I am like actually telling you the story um, <laughs> because you can work, you know, I love working with color and space and shape and the patterns to really show, show that idea. I just think that those, those elements are much more, um, well, I can use them in a much more, I don't know, uh, uh, in a way that describes it better. Um, so yeah, with, the fabric, you know, so there's new fabric and, you know, the patterns are usually related in some way, or they're also an idea that, that, that I want to see through, whether it's like in terms of technique or how I'm using the fabric or, um, oftentimes something that I'm thinking about teaching or something that I think because I teach, um, people are wanting to work on more. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how the patterns come to be. And then the booth is just a perfect place to put everything together. So, um, most recently, uh, at quilt market this last October, I was showing the fabric, the patterns, um, I had new thread sets with Aurifil and I designed the new label for soak. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of stuff to show, but it was fun to put it together in a way that made sense to, to the design work and kind of the thoughts behind it. So it kind of evolves then as opposed to like you're thinking from the very beginning, like, okay, I'm looking at trees. I'm thinking about mark making. I know that this is what my booth will be like, or, you know what I mean? I'm just kind of curious or is it different every time? Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all something I think about from project to project. So, you know, like with Karkai a year ago, I knew I wanted to, I mean, it was, well, it was the first collection where I had a larger scale print and, I really wanted to make a camouflage with it um, to really highlight <laughs> the fact that, um, well, it is a larger scale motif, but you can use it in that way, which I did in the projects that I played on that wall. But then I had other projects on the other wall where I totally like broke down that. I mean, you know, I cut it up into pieces and just use it as like a regular texture. So um, for me, it was really important to show how, one thing didn't have to be used only in one way. And, I, and it was fun and dramatic, which I liked. When I absolutely could not um, filter out saying, oh my gosh, it's like Garden State. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the part in that <laughs> yeah, movie? Yeah, I've totally forgotten about that. Until people <laughs> were mentioning that. I need to watch that movie again. <laughs> um, you absolutely need to watch that movie again. I am um, have a... a little bit of a man crush on Zach Braff. <laughs> yeah, it's an awesome movie. And Natalie Portman's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, she really, so, yeah. she really is. Yeah, she really is. Mm -hmm. So what do you think the biggest lesson you've learned from teaching? Because you teach quite a variety of different classes and now you've taught all over the world. Yeah, teaching can be a fun, um, it can be a fun way of how people work, how different people work different people interpret designs or see things in ways i mean um see where they're hung up what their challenges are because i'm not of the opinion <laughs> i definitely I, I totally believe i mean i know that we all work in very different ways and so we need tools to address the different ways of working the different different desires in working the different taste and um preferences which is fantastic i mean that's one of the greatest things about quilting is that there are a million different ways to get to the same result or to get to a different result. So, um, I guess my, more of my method of teaching is, 
to really hone in on to kind of individualize it. So usually, you know, whatever big ideas there are in class, we'll talk about those together. But then the bulk of the class is really spent one-on-one. I'm walking around and actually talking to people about their projects because not everybody's going to be at the same step. Um, And I don't mean that as like a skill level step or anything, but some people may be coming to class wanting, you know, really hung up on this part of the project or a project or color or whatever. And so to me, it makes way more sense to treat that more individually than, Mm -hmm. than as a group. And that's also just kind of how I am too, you know, it's much more easy. I mean, I'm much more of a one-on-one smaller group kind of person. I think it's easier to get lost in a crowd and, um, it can also be more intimidating. So I don't want anyone to feel any intimidated by anything in class, which is also why I do that so that everyone can feel comfortable talking about whatever, you know, whatever part that they're at, whatever they're hung up on. And so that they're, that will lead them to a more successful, um, not just class, but project and, you know, competence of the technique or whatever it is. Well, I was lucky enough to take your Tangelo class. And so we talked in the beginning about overall like paper piecing technique. And then we went into, this is how we're working on this specific project. And then it was a lot of time for us to then sit there and play with it. And some people, like you said, were wanting to have advice about color, like what you thought, what colors they thought would work well together, what you thought about contrast, and maybe not as focused on the technique of paper piecing because they knew that really well. Whereas I walked in and I was like, I want low volume and here's all my precious good folks. (laughs) And so the color wasn't at all something for me because like I had sort of decided that first, but mine was like, okay, how do I like paper piece this. And you gave me a lot of good techniques. And I remember sort of thinking at the time, like, yeah, this is really not a class where you're going to sit there the whole time and be lectured at. It's a working class. You know, we're going to be sitting here. She's going to introduce ideas and then she's going to look at you and say, what do you specifically need and how can I help you get it? And I appreciate that for myself. And I think for anybody who's going in and it's not a design class, it's a technique class. And I really appreciated that, but I sort of wondered what you get out of that experience too. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's interesting to see how different people work. And, um, from a personality standpoint, it's always fun trying to suss what someone's really trying to say or what they are really trying to do or what they're really going to get hung up on. Cause you know, people, you know, obviously sometimes they'll make mistakes and, it's usually solvable or even not if it's a mistake, if it's something that they want to accomplish. Um, most things are solvable in any number of different ways. And so figuring out what solution will be right for them totally depends on what they're going to accomplish and kind of what they really care about. So for example, if someone's really going to care about having one extra seam in something because they had to patch a piece in, you know, I always try to gauge like some people, they're really going to care about that, (laughs) you know, even though no one else is going to be able to see it, depending on what it is, someone, you know, in their mind is always going to know that it's there. And so for that person, I'm always like, yeah, go ahead. You're going to need to take that out because you're not going to be sleeping well tonight. Um, so yeah, that's always kind of interesting. Um, kind of seeing where people are coming from with their projects and, um, and yeah, and I do, often 
get people, you know, they'll want me to, <laughs> someone will be as bold as to say, just pick out the, which fabrics would you choose? And for me, it's never, well, what would I choose? Cause it's not really my project. You know, I want it to be your project. And I think that's the interesting thing about it. So, um, usually try to guide people toward toward that and I think that that's more helpful for them because they're not going to have me picking out what I would pick out at home um, they're going to be at home and need to, to pick it out themselves and so you know if we can walk through that process together you know then hopefully when they're alone they're kind of equipped at least more confidence to to make decisions that that, that will result will, that will result in you know kind of a better project for them. I remember I was a little bit short on a piece um, of my good folks fabric and you're like, well, just use this other piece and you'll just have two seams. And I looked at you like, oh, completely mind blown. Oh, it doesn't have to. I can piece two. Like, so I must have been the one where you were like, oh, she can handle a little bit of crazy. <laughs> like she can, she can do it. <laughs> Now that I say my secrets to what I'm going to tell you to do with your, yeah. <laughs> but it was either that or I was going to have to like hunt down, you know, hard, super hard to find Anna Maria Horner, you know, so it was like, what were my two yeah. options? And um, you gave me one that totally worked because I'm a little crazy and I'm okay if it there was an extra seam there. <laughs> well, there are already seams in the project. So, I mean, why not add one more? You know? Yeah. It's not unprecedented. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. But I could also see how some people might be really bothered by it. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of times you're not going to see something like that, depending on the project, depending on your fabric, depending on how it's pieced. Yeah, you're not going to see it. But for some people, I know that doesn't matter. They're going to know that it's there. And so really only so that they can sleep at night, they should just rip out the whole thing and put a bigger piece on. <laughs> So along with needle turn applique and paper piecing, do you also like knit and crochet? Um, I can do both. I'm not very good at crocheting. <laughs> For some reason, I can't read the stitches right. But yeah, I do like to knit. and um, But unfortunately, I don't get to do it very much. I The only time I've really... Well, so <laughs> there are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, I love doing handwork. And so I do that a lot. That kind of fills the same yeah. creative. I mean, that fills kind of the same time gap into the day or around friends, watching a movie kind of stuff. It's perfect for that. So those kind of compete for that, that chunk of time. But kind of more, um, I wouldn't say more important, but also working along with that is that moving back to Florida it is near impossible to find things <laughs> to knit that I can actually wear. And I am cold all the time. So um, even saying that, it's just the, the weight of it. And, you know, I've tried making a million different things like a vest and light shawls and things out of cotton. Um, and it's really fun and I enjoy it. But there's just not a lot of opportunity to actually wear it. And so that also is slightly not defeating. I don't feel defeated by it. I just, it, I guess it just doesn't compel me as much. Um, when I lived in St. Louis and it was cold, that was really when I got into knitting. Um, I'd learned in high school, but then actually being in a place where I could work, like hats make a difference, scarves make a difference, um, hand knit socks make a difference and they <laughs> feel very luxurious to wear. <laughs> um, 
those all made a big difference. So yeah, that's been, that's been kind of a change since moving back to Florida as well. I have to say it's one thing about knitting in San Diego is a little bit like knitting in Florida. Um, <laughs> even though ironically or coincidentally today I have on my hand knit socks because I'm like, it's 56 <laughs> degrees. Oh my gosh. Hand knit <laughs> socks. Like, you know, yeah, but, my mom said it's 60. Well, so it's, yeah, I think it's 60 at home. I'm actually not at home right now, but it's 60 at home. And I was like, oh my gosh, so cold. <laughs> anybody so from the. <laughs> I was going to say, anybody from the Midwest, like, don't kill us. Like, we just. <laughs> <laughs> we just pay our sunshine tax, and that's just the way it goes for us. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So through all of your work, I feel like your voice and your perspective is really well defined. What would be your devi- your advice for others who want to develop their own voice in whatever craft? Um, yeah, just kind of do the things that you care about. I know that sounds easy to say, and I definitely know that that's not hard because you're constantly thinking about, it's hard not to think about things that you've seen or you know, social media to see what other people are doing. Um, I guess if you're kind of feeling overly conscious of that, I would recommend taking a step back um, and maybe put your blinders on and stop looking so much about what everyone else is doing because that can be really uh, hard if you're struggling on your own and trying to find your voice. I would say just, you know, pay attention to what you're doing and go forward with that. And it sort of ties into your Mighty Lucky Challenge because you're tackling something that I think is just, uh, I think about it a lot. I think December and January are times that I definitely think about it. But we're talking about, you know, project overwhelm, you know, how do we organize just palette cleansers. And so it feels like the perfect time to assess what we've done in the current year, what we're planning to do in the future. But what inspired you, your challenge, and what do you hope others will gain from it? Yeah, so I think that, uh, <laughs> so just like everything else that we've talked about, how everything's kind of related, and I kind of think through things in a way to see how they're related and what their impact's going to be. It's funny that this um, design challenge, well, it didn't actually turn out to being what I planned it. I thought I would just do it. I mean, and it is a design challenge. It may not be one working with color or fabric or shape or piecing. It's still a design challenge and it's one that we all face. So, and I even faced it <laughs> going into the challenge to be per- perfectly honest. I, you know, the idea that I had originally, um, that I talked about with Suzanne Woods, who, kind of created, well, she created Lucky Spool, but also created the Mighty Lucky Quilting Club um, that we talked about, you know, back in January, December, whatever time that we set up the club. Um, You know, it's something that I've been thinking about all year and trying to figure out how I really wanted to work that particular design challenge. And I was really kind of hitting a wall with it. It wasn't clicking. And so just in talking to Suzanne about it, we just kind of had a discussion and in talking about it, I realized, you know, kind of at the end of the year or different times of the year, it's really important. I mean, you feel it often in the creative journey, you feel this overwhelm or that you're hitting a wall or all of the things that I was hitting (laughs) just in thinking about the challenge. So as soon as we kind of talked about that, because one thing she was talking about 
you know, I was just asking her about um, kind of the feedback so far on, on the quilting club, like how the participants were enjoying the challenges, where they were at this time of year. And it's interesting because I was teaching, um, I think it was back in April or March, sometime earlier this, much earlier this year, you know, just a few months into the program. And I had some people in class that were participating in the Mighty Lucky quilting club and they were really enjoying the challenges and they were just so excited and it was really making them think about stuff in ways that they hadn't thought and it was just very very exciting and so it was interesting you know thinking about that feedback I'd love to check back in with actual participants now to see if they still have that level of enthusiasm I mean not to say that I mean the quilting club has been great but I think that it makes sense to kind of break a similar momentum at some point and kind of step back because it can be really hard to have a lot of, it's hard to keep up that level of energy Yeah. for any project, for any person, anything in your life at some point, um, you may hit a wall. And so it's really nice to, to kind of step back and think about that. So yeah, that's really where it started. And that's where I, that, that, that's, that's, that's where it started. And so as soon as, um, we kind of got, Suzanne and I were just talking, as soon as we hit that kind of idea, I was like, oh my gosh, that's totally, that's totally perfect. I know exactly what it's like to deal with that. I'm dealing with that now or at different points of the year, you know, we all, the week or day, you know, I mean, at different levels, you kind of deal with that kind of stuff. So it was fun to think about that. And um, so to kind of highlight the challenges of overwhelm or like hitting a wall um, and how you may kind of work through that. Well, and I think as, you know, a hobbyist, it is really easy to see what somebody else is making and be like, oh, I so want to do the same thing, right? So I call my squirrel moments like, oh, that is an amazing shirt. I am going to go like figure that out. And then it's like, well, how about like the 10 other projects that I have sitting on my desk? Some of them even cut out, you know, like ready <laughs> to go or I'm working on a project right now and there's a part that I can't like wrap my head around and I haven't just been able to have dedicated focused time to think about it. And so I have to set it aside because I can't work it right this minute, you know? So then it's like, I'm doing easy quote unquote easier things because it just allows me to give that other project space. And so I think kind of that idea of like, are you doing something that's going to develop your voice if that's what you want to do or further develop your voice? Are you doing something that's kind of like a squirrel moment that you saw somebody else do? And yet does that get you further along in your goals? And I really felt like the challenge helped me think about that a little bit more. I mean, I read the challenge and then immediately went through my works in progress, you know, boxes they're not huge, but there's a couple of them and like wrote down the project and where it was. And I realized that two of them were completely done in terms of piece, but just needed to be quilted. And I was planning on sending them out anyway. So I'm like, why am I sitting on this? Like piece the backs and get them out. And like just the idea of thinking about that and like where I could be and how much further I could be if I just spent that time doing it was like, duh. You know, I mean, it really was like a dumb moment. So, I, I, you know, people talk about losing their losing their sojo, you know, they're just like creativity. I just felt like the exercises themselves gave me that chance to really think about like, what do I want to be working on? How do I kind of refocus myself? 
Oh, so glad to hear that. Um, cause yeah, it's totally true. No matter what project we're working on, um, or projects, I mean, squirrel moment, I think that's really hilarious. Um, <laughs> cause it's so true. Um, we can easily start running around and especially this time of year. So it being the December challenge, you know, we have a lot of holidays, all of our, <laughs> so many of our holidays are at the end of the year. So there's that, um, you know, some of these holidays are holidays when we're giving gifts. So us being makers, I know that we all, <laughs> I can, I will assume that a lot of us may aspire to making a lot of those gifts. Um, and that can be a huge list of things to think about. And that can really feel like a lot. Um, and then also it just being the end of the year. So it's kind of everything that's happened all year. It's kind of maybe feel compounded by all of that. And we've just got one month before the year is over. So if there's anything else you want to do or whatever, I mean, it's easy to feel like a squirrel or like you're just, you've got too much on your plate this time of year. So yeah, I think it's great to really kind of think through logically and um, yeah, assess what you have so that hopefully you can start to feel better about things. Cause it's probably not as bad as you think it is <laughs> once you just get into a different mindset or maybe it is, but you know, <laughs> at least addressing it will make you feel better. It, it did actually make me feel better. I think I looked through those boxes cause I keep them all in one area and was able to say, okay, it really isn't as bad as I sort of thought it was. I've been making a conscientious effort to give away things that I'm not going to work on again or, you know, whatever, like, I gave a bunch of stuff to our local guild for charity projects. And that just was like, okay, so the things I have are definitely things I'm going to work on, right? You know, it just was reaffirming of that. But especially, like I said, when I knew I had the pieces, like, you know, the tops already pieced and I even had like the backing next to it. I'm like, what, what, what am I doing? You know, let's, let's just get I know, it you done. just have to wonder, because we totally all do that. And you have to wonder what your mindset was to not think that, this really, I mean, it's one step from being finished and it's not even a step that you have to make other than <laughs> giving it to the person to quilt. Why did yeah. this not happen? But no, we totally, we all do that. Yes, <laughs> yes. And I think the feeling that of accomplishment when it's finished is going to outweigh it sitting in any box forever. So <laughs> oh, totally. I imagine just handing that off felt like, you know, the hugest weight had been lifted from your shoulders. Yeah, well, it hasn't been handed off yet, but the idea that I could hand it off <laughs> literally helped me feel better about it. Like I will have a smaller awesome. box by the end of the year. So, <laughs> so what can we expect next? Cause I feel like with Euclid, you, you started moving into garments, which I know you love making. Um, and I know you, I think you and I both have a little bit of a woman crush on Jen from Greenline. Um, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so, you know, and now you've got lawn, um, you know, mm -hmm. as part of Freelander. So what are you going to work on next? Like, are garments going to come in? Are you always going to be sort of a garment maker, maybe not a designer? Are we going to get, I'm, I feel like we're going to keep getting more amazing fabric. My Carolyn box is now <laughs> Carolyn boxes, plural, you know, um, but what's next? Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, no, I love making garments as far as actually doing that. I mean, I'm, I feel like, um, there are enough good people. I mean, there are people out there doing amazing things such as Jen from Greenline and aren't well drafted, um, and well supported by everything else she does. Um, 
I I don't know. And garment sewing for me is just it it's fun. I don't there really aren't any professional obligations associated with it. Not that, you know, I love making the quilts, but I am now mostly making quilts. I, I do s- try to sneak personal ones in. Um, I've been trying to sneak more personal ones in. Um, but yeah, for now, garments are this nice, <laughs> nice personal thing that I do that I can wear and be wonderful. I think that, and for me too, like I really admire the good pattern designers, garment pattern designers, because, um, you know, they know body shapes. They know how to, teach people how to make adjustments so that they fit their body shape. I think that for me, that's so impressive. I mean, I know it's taken me (laughs) this long sewing garments for my body type to (laughs) get a better handle of that. I, 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 I'm not sure that I would do everybody a service. I don't, I don't think I know enough (laughs) um, about what different, you know, what, what works well for other people to really, um, be, I don't know. I, I mean, for that to be a natural next step for me, but, um, but yeah, no, I'm definitely a supporter and I'm a big supporter of people making clothes and people supporting independent designers and especially those that are really, um, doing good work because that should be celebrated. So yeah, we'll see. I'll continue to be making things on weekends and in the evenings, busting out garments, um, as I mentioned, I just to get back to Greenland, I've been traveling the last few weeks. And uh, since then, she's released a new pattern. And that's the one thing about traveling. I'm like, man, if I just <laughs> could get to a sewing machine, if I could get to a large space, I was like, I do want to make that one. So it's high on my list for when I get back. Well, it's exciting to have something to look forward to that isn't an obligation, but still indulges you in yeah. something you love. Yes, Totally. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much for the insight into your process. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Oh, thanks so much, Sandy. It was a, such a pleasure to be on. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening and to Lucky Spool Media, Backquarter Shop, and Sotopia for sponsoring this episode. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can either leave a review or subscribe for the latest episodes on either iTunes or Stitcher. You can also donate to the podcast through my website, craftyplanner.com, under the link for podcast on the top of the page. There are also show notes from today's episode. So until next week, stay crafty, my friends.